You're listening to Brainwaves on WRBB 104.9 FM. My name is Dana Decay. Hello, hello. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in. This episode is near and dear to my heart, not only because it covers one of my favorite things to talk about, but because we'll get to hear from some incredibly passionate people. Today, we will be discussing the magical world of film music. More specifically, what makes movie themes successful and why we, the audience, grow to absolutely adore them. To start, I'll sit down with Northeastern film music professor Jacques Dupuy to discuss the importance of the leitmotif in film music. Professor Dupuy earned his PhD in musicology from Brandeis University in 2021, and now he teaches my favorite class here at Northeastern, film music, where we talk about the history and different interpretations of how music and sound operate in film and tell different stories. And we study film music from a lot of narrative films in Hollywood and focusing on a timeline from the silent era to the present. And later, we'll even hear from some other film music students as they draft their favorite film scores from different film genres. I can tell you now, Everyone in this podcast is super passionate about film music, and everyone has a keen ear for sound, so I hope you'll enjoy. Okay, but before we get to hear from our guest professor, let's break down the basics of a movie theme. We can all recognize music from Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, or The Godfather due to the genius behind each of their musical themes. These themes can be complex orchestral melodies, just a few instruments, but regardless of their structure, Musical themes highlight key elements of the human experience. They engage with major concepts of the film and its purpose. They provide necessary structure to the film's overall score, telling a story about characters or moods within the narrative that aren't explicitly mentioned through the film's images. Themes from composer John Williams, for example, have shaped an entire generation and made pieces of music just as iconic as the film franchises they are a part of. So composing a solid theme is really a crucial element to successful filmmaking, and there's a lot that goes behind it, and we're about to break it down. Professor Dupuy, thank you for joining me today on Brainwaves. I know I've said it before, but your class has truly been the highlight of my year. And to anyone out there, regardless of your knowledge of film or music, I highly suggest this course to any Northeastern student. You'd be surprised how much thought goes behind every piece of sound you hear within the films you watch. But without further ado, let's talk about the leitmotif. So the general practice of using them originated in 18th century opera, comes from the German word leitmotif, which when you split the word up, light means leading, and motif obviously means motif. It's mostly associated with composer Richard Wagner and his piece, The Ride of the Valkyries. Now, do you remember the first time you learned about the word leitmotif? Uh, probably formally, it was when I was studying music as an undergrad. Um, we talked about, I mean, Richard Wagner occupies a pretty big space in a lot of music uh, history curricula. So we talked about him and, and, and that particular technique, which, you know, as you said, is not something that he invented by any means, um, but it is something that today that particular strategy of writing music and creating, uh, you know, drama is something that is pretty closely associated with him. So it's, I mean, it, it works its way into a, a good music yeah. history class. We, we learned quite a bit about that, but that was kind of the first place that I learned about the idea. But, you know, I think a lot of people, you kind of have an intuitive sense for how this sort of thing mm -hmm. works, especially in film. You know, we sort of hear a lot of things that we may or may not 
pay super close attention to, but that do add a lot to our experience with uh, a film experience, um, mm -hmm. where it's you know it is both visual and audible and dramatic. It's it's a pretty multimedia art form, and so you know whether or not we're paying and and paying close attention or uh, or really thinking consciously about everything that we're perceiving, you know, a lot of this stuff really influences the way that we feel and, and that way that we, I don't know, understand what we are, are seeing and hearing uh, in the, the, the uh, in, I don't know, when you sit down in the theater. It's, yeah. a, it's a real multi-sensory experience. But, you know, this idea of the leitmotif, um, as you're saying, it sort of comes from a German tradition and that's kind mm -hmm. of where it matured, especially in the 19th century, where it really took on a lot of its current uh, meaning and associations, um, especially with Wagner, but a lot of other composers use this kind of technique as well, um, and not only in dramatic forms of, of music, something like opera or popular theater, those kinds of things, um, but also in orchestral music, where it doesn't have a text, where it's a story that is being told by um, by nonverbal means or or you know, through instruments. And that's a similar sort of thing where over the course of experiencing a piece of music or a play, we sort of gather meanings through the music and, and what it tells us in addition to maybe a more literal, uh, you know, in literal information in, in actual verbal language, those sorts of things. So it, it reaches pretty far and wide. Um, and it's not only, you know, a 19th century thing, this association that we have, which is really what a leitmotif is, is mm -hmm. that building associations and meaning through, you know, coincidence and corresponding images and sounds, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but that's that's an, a really old story in music, yeah. <laughs> uh, especially in Western music, um, which is most of what I know about. But it's, you know, you go back to something like in the Renaissance when there was a lot more vocal music being written. So you have people writing poems and then setting that to music or taking other people's poems and setting that to music. Um, you know, matching non-musical ideas to sounds was a practice that was happening, you know, for, for a very long time. And in the Renaissance, if you had, you know, a poem, a love poem that was that included an image of a bird, for example, mm -hmm the person might sing very high. And yeah. then if there is like a fall or mm -hmm. if there's uh, sorrow or something like that, the melody might work its way down or you know descend very quickly. So these are musical associations with non-musical ideas and it goes back pretty far um, all the way, you know, I don't know, as, as long as there's been text and music, there's been a relationship yeah. between those two sorts of things. So um, yeah, but in the 19th century, it kind of took on its current meaning. That's neat, I love, I think it's so fascinating studying the history of how that relationship changes because I remember when we watched Parasite in class, there were so many nuances to the sound that I hadn't noticed until we talked about it in class. And similar to, you know, the bird and the high-pitched noises when the characters in the movie were ascending to the uh, upper-class family or descending down back to their neighborhood, the music would follow those patterns. And I hadn't even noticed that the first time around. And really going back, you see all those associations and you see how the sound really does build meaning and, and emotional depth to the movie that you'd never noticed before. And it's fascinating how far back that dates and how strong... It, the leitmotif is proving how strong it is for obviously how long it's lasted. And composers are only finding new and more interesting ways to incorporate them in film. That's That's been amazing to study. What about, I know we talked a lot in class about themes, just musical themes, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, uh, the big ones that we all know. How would you differentiate 
a film's theme from the specific light motif? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's sort of a fine and and sometimes blurry distinction. So when we talk about a theme, that could be a whole wide range of possible things. I mean, it, what we often think of as being kind of like the classic iconic theme is something that will be, you know, kind of a, a, a an expansive and very lyrical melody, something that could get stuck in our ears that we might walk out of the theater whistling or humming to ourselves. Um, or it might be something along the lines of a pop tune that's written for a movie. Um, that could be a theme song. Um, so it could be a wide variety of different things. But if we're thinking about what a, what then a leitmotif is, it could be a theme. It could be, you know, a, a melody that was is meant to be associated with a particular character a lot of the time. Um, so if you think of sort of recent, well, relatively recent in, in film history, examples, John Williams, um, probably the most the famous film yeah. composer today, um, you know, he uses this technique pretty extensively and has for a very long time, um, you know, Star Wars universe across mm -hmm. all of the, you know, the films, but also the, all of the products that go along with it. Um, anything that has sound associated with it will draw on the network of themes and, and leitmotifs that he developed for that uh, cinematic universe, um, which really, it, it, this is a great example of a cinematic universe. Yeah. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. Uh, and... You know, he would have specific ideas or musical ideas that he would associate um, with specific characters. So there is a Luke theme, which is kind of the, the famous mm -hmm. opening credits with, the uh, you know, looking out into space as the yellow text goes by. Mm -hmm. That uh, opening triumphant sort of fanfare music is a theme that comes to be associated very closely with Luke specifically mm -hmm. uh, across the films. Um, but it could also be something more abstract. So there's a theme that he wrote that comes to be associated with the force. It's a little bit, yeah. I mean, it's a very lyrical theme as well. It's not quite as triumphant. It's not the exact same as what Luke's theme is, but, um, it's a, it's a theme. It's a pretty full fledged theme. It has a real developed musical idea that mm -hmm. sort of carries out to its conclusion. Um, but those are examples of themes that then become leitmotifs. They come to mm -hmm. be closely associated with characters, which are, in this respect, at least, kind of non-musical entities mm -hmm. um, that the theme comes to be associated with. It doesn't have to be a, an entire theme. So you yeah. could have all sorts okay. of different musical ideas or uh, musical elements that could turn into a leitmotif. Mm -hmm. um, and so you might have something like a particular instrument, uh, like a harmonica in a Western, might be associated with some particular character. Uh, and that's an instrument. It doesn't have to yeah. have a specific melody, but it could be, you know, that particular quality of that instrument or that instrument itself. Um, or in the case of something, uh, you know, thinking of horror films, a lot of the time, you know, timbres will be a big cue to us for what's mm -hmm. happening and not only to sort of set the, the tone for the scene, but if you think of something like the Jaws theme. Yeah. Classic. You know, it's <laughs> it's a very basic and very simple kind of musical idea where it's just something that's kind of like a da da, mm -hmm. and that's kind of the the meat well, potatoes of the whole thing. Is it just two notes, right? Pretty is much. It just a two note. Wow. Yeah, and that's that's like the the basic idea that you're handling with it, and then it sort of expands out and it, it yeah. grows and develops beyond that, and you you know start oscillating between these two pitches and and. Mm -hmm. Uh, that becomes uh, something that comes to that we learn in the course of the film that that's associated with the shark. Yeah. Um, but it's not a, a theme. It's not something that you would probably like 
hum to yourself as you're driving down the road. I mean, (laughs) it might get stuck in your head and you think of it from time to time, but it's not the same sort of thing as, as, um, I don't know, like a great love theme or something Mm -hmm. like that. That makes sense. I'd hope no one's in their car humming (laughs) Jaws by Motif. It makes you wonder what that would mean exactly, but... Um, it does a lot of work for us in that way, and it can be a lot of different things. So when it gets down to it, if you're trying to decide what exactly is a, a leitmotif, it's really more about, like, what is the musical idea doing for you? Um, is it cueing you into uh, a character that's sort of filling out our understanding of that person? Um, maybe their theme has a particular quality. It's, like, especially joyful or sorrowful. Mm-hmm. That might tell us about what the character is like. Uh, or it could be something like The Shark where, you know, we don't usually see a shark uh, when we're standing on land, if you're standing on the beach. And so what does that particular uh, musical idea do for us? It cues us into the presence of the shark. So it can do that kind of work for us as well. It can cue us into things that we can't see. And that's in in horror films, especially, that's kind of what some of these leitmotif ideas do Mm -hmm. for us, is that when that musical figure is associated with a character, um, I don't know, thinking of like the Halloween movies. Yeah, you can, I mean, you can tell when someone's going to die in the scene just from the music alone. If a a woman's alone and I hear a melody, my thought isn't thinking, oh, the killer is about to pop out. But if I hear some, you know, plucking of the strings, some high-pitched piano, you know, the Michael Myers two-note piano leitmotif, I know, oh, something's about to go down. That's that ominous, threatening feeling, the same thing that Jaws does. And it really is that, the word cue, that's everything with leitmotif right now, especially in this part of its conversation. And I, I do have a question, though. If themes and leitmotifs can be both associated with characters, and obviously characters have a character arc in the movie and they develop, do both themes and leitmotifs develop with those characters too? And you mentioned the force. Obviously, that's not a you know, an actual person or a monster or a character, but it is, I, I guess you could classify the Force as a character within Star Wars. Can that change and develop in the theme and leitmotif as the movies go on? Yeah, certainly. And, in, you know, a, a, a theme or a leitmotif or a theme as a leitmotif mm-hmm. might have, like, a full-fledged version of that thing where mm-hmm. it plays all the way through it, um, or it can be broken up into smaller pieces. Um, and... I don't know, like thinking about how we can understand character development through these ideas. If a theme gets, you know, more complicated or if it's chopped up or something like that, you know, that might be a cue to us that there's something unstable in the Mm. character's mental state at that particular moment, for example. Um, Or, you know, you might change the chords that go along with Mm. the melody of a particular theme. uh, And that could tell us that, you know, if they get to be tense or they become more relaxed or beautiful or something like that, that could cue us into things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, along with having a lot of this flexibility with a leitmotif, it can take a lot of different forms. It's also the type of thing that, like, what is it doing for us as an audience? I mean, it opens up all of these interpretive possibilities for us. You know, as you experience any kind of art form, you bring your entire experience of the world with you. Mm -hmm. So the way that I see a theme or a leitmotif will be different than the person sitting next to me in the theater. And so 
I think composers, film composers know that about the work that they're doing, mm -hmm. or I, I'm sure every artist knows that about the work <laughs> that they're doing. It's open to interpretation. It's always, always is. And so, but that, what that does for us in a film is that it does add some more depth and it mm -hmm. adds a measure of relatability for us that we can sort of bring our own selves into understanding what's happening. So if a character's theme or their leitmotif changes over the course of the film, that might be a way that we can sort of get more out of the the film uh, in a way that I don't know. Music is a hard thing to pin down. Uh, it it's yeah. nonverbal a lot of the time, mm -hmm. and we hear it in different ways. And and so it's it's a way that uh, that film adds depth and and, mm -hmm. and interest and and sort of personal investment and subjectivity. If you sat an audience member down and asked them which instruments do each genre use for their themes, you wouldn't exactly know that you know that answer. Yeah. But in the moment when you're watching that movie and you hear those instruments, like Indiana Jones, you hear it and you know, oh, this is doing something for me as an audience member. I feel his heroic presence, and that's, that's my interpretation, and I know that's for me, but you don't, you don't always notice it while it's happening, which yeah. I think is something so magical. Yeah, and it's, I mean, that, that sort of gets us to think about cultural context with mm -hmm. all of this, that a lot of leitmotifs, I mean, if they, they can be a lot of different things, whether it's a full-blown theme or it's just one tiny little musical idea, like the alternating couple of pitches in, mm -hmm. in the Jaws sort of shark music, um, or if it's a particular instrument, um, all of these different, different possibilities, I, you know, like it, it, it does sort of... It requires a certain amount of context to, to interpret it in one way, but like as you're saying, you know, it doesn't have to be that. It can mm -hmm. be, you know, you can pull context from other cultural uh, um, codes that we have and, and get different meanings out of it. There's no like correct answer with yeah. this, but thinking about something like the Imperial March in, in Star Wars, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's something that we associate with a particular character or like one side of mm -hmm. this whole <laughs> story. Um, but it's something that also pulls in a, a musical idea of something like a march. I mean, yeah. literally, Imperial <laughs> March. It, it takes a lot of the historical associations or the sounds that we expect out of a march, and it brings that in. So it's not that leitmotifs only get meaning from the context of the film mm -hmm. that we're watching. I mean, that's where it, it sort of takes on its specific meaning within the film. Yeah. But... Um, you know, there are other meanings that can be introduced into the film through a leitmotif, um, sort of taking some of these different styles, whether it's a march or if it's, I don't know, something like a funeral dirge, which is mm -hmm. also kind of, I mean, that is also a march, but you might have something like a fanfare, yeah, yeah. like Luke's theme or, or other types of, like, Indiana Jones when we expect something heroic to happen or... Mm -hmm when he's in the throes of danger and then we hear a fanfare, um, which again, this is a John Williams score. So yeah. it's, it's a lot of that, you know, sort of real command of that kind of technique, but that sort of fanfare music, we, some of the time we don't know for sure if he's going to mm -hmm. escape the situation where he's in, but we hear that fanfare and we come to associate it with triumph, with success or escape. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it takes on that leitmotivic quality of not being associated with a person, a character, mm -hmm. or even like the force, a different entity, but then a theme or a circumstance or a, a potential outcome. So again, thinking about the flexibility of this technique of leitmotif, in that case, in Indiana Jones is, uh, in that case, it could be, you know, a turning point that that's the leitmotif. It tells mm -hmm. us that this is going to be a successful moment for him. Mm -hmm. So it can be a lot of different things. Okay. Um, and it can pull in associations of fanfare, of marches, all these different kinds of styles that we have, or circus, something like that. I mean, yeah. like it could be anything. 
Um, And the audience gets meaning and pulls meaning into that Mm -hmm. in their interpretation and their understanding of what's going on and how things will go based on what they know about, you know, these associations from outside of the film. So it's not something that's only within the film. It's also with outside of the film pulling things in, too. I think that that, as you said, that flexibility is everything and also so fascinating how flexible or lack thereof of flexibility composers make the themes and leitmotifs depending on I guess possibly trust of the audience or what they're going to get for it and obviously they don't want to spoil the next scene with the music that they put on during that scene and it's interesting how much control they have over that mood in the moment or lack of control that they have depending on our interpretation. Yeah and that'll be something that that's a a way of of approaching a film and and getting I don't know like digging into it a little bit is thinking Mm -hmm. about like if a composer is going to treat leitmotifs very strictly that's an option that they have that it can always be associated with the same thing which I mean just like when we're listening to a song and you you listen to the chorus the chorus repeats throughout kind of like a Mm -hmm. leitmotif repeats throughout and gets new meanings based on the other things that we've heard or experienced um and so you know extra meaning sort of builds on to a leitmotif. It's building these networks of association that we have as we go through a film. Um, but other composers might treat it more flexibly, like you're saying, yeah. and and adapt it to different situations or pull it away from a character across mm-hmm. a film. So maybe that's a point at which at first we thought this is a, a character's leitmotif, but then it starts to be played with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's some other kind of meaning that we're mm-hmm. supposed to get out of this. And it really is a little bit of the composer sort of probably working with the director yeah. and the producers and everybody else. Um, but it is the composer adding some sort of narrative interpretation to the situation and you know that could depend on what their strategy is and what they want to add and how strict they want to be about this theme belongs to x character or Mm -hmm. this is something else Um, so it's yeah i did danny elfman's master class over christmas break which is fascinating and he talked a lot about the relationship he has with tim burton and obviously they've worked on countless projects together, but Tim Burton always tells Elfman, you have free range. I'm giving you a cue sheet, but in terms of themes, in terms of how you want to structure the music, that's all up to you. It's wild to think about how different Tim Burton movies might feel to us if Elfman didn't have that much freedom. Mm -hmm. And he talked a lot about how he just went about how he would compose the music in the moment, and it seriously developed the whole narrative of the movie. And I guess, yeah, that really does depend on the relationship between the director and producer and composer to see how strict those rules are. Yeah, because not everybody's going to have that kind of freedom. No. I mean, there's a certain <laughs> Not that of trust between those two right. that's unmatched. Yeah, and those kinds of relationships are... I feel like we have an impression that those are somewhat common relationships in, in Hollywood, but I think they're actually quite uncommon. I mean... Yeah. A, you know, somebody like Elfman and, and, and Burton or, you know, John Williams and Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. um, going back to Sergio Leone and Ennio Marcone, like mm-hmm. these are relationships that directors and composers often carried on and shared some sort of aesthetic priorities, mm-hmm. whatever it is. But, um, yeah, you know, it's not always the case that even the most famous film composers yeah. will have that kind of cachet and be able to to have a final say. Because, like, even somebody like Elmer Bernstein, who mm-hmm. was sort of colloquially known as Bernstein West against Leonard Bernstein, Bernstein East, but he was one of the most prolific film
film composers in the 20th century uh, and very successful and very respected, but his last film score was actually rejected. It was supposed to be used for Gangs of New York, big budget film, big name film, and this was a a composer who had 50 years of of composing experience and they didn't like it. Oh no! They decided to go with somebody else. So, yeah. That's show business? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Last question before we sign off. Before we turn it in over to the film music students of your class, I have to ask, what's your all-time favorite movie theme or leitmotif or maybe a strong memory you have associated with one of them? Right. I know, this is a really tough question. I mean, generations have been built on these themes and asking you to narrow it down to one, but... I, I feel like your formative years will always be influential on like your later tastes of course that's why they're formative years but (laughs) uh you know i grew up playing trumpet and uh played in a lot of orchestras and and bands growing up uh and um speaking of john williams one of his first like really successful film scores or a film score that uh came to to be pretty well known outside of the film itself was for Mm -hmm. this film 1970 the cowboys um, which is, you know, as a brass player, it's just so much fun to play. I mean, like you you really get to show off all of your (laughs) tricks as a, as a trumpet player, as a French horn player. Mm -hmm. And it's just also got this like incredible, you know, kickstart from the beginning, all this energy, um, that just adds a whole lot, uh, to the film. But then it has this incredible, like wonderfully lyrical theme that pairs with that high energy percussive Mm -hmm. stuff that you start with, you go into a later theme and then the thing that really kind of hooked me with that is when those two things sort of layer one on top of another. So you get this kind of counterpoint where you've got something very lyrical and high flying in the strings and high woodwinds. And underneath that, you've got this kind of motor going with the brass players and the percussion. And it's just, it's one of those moments that I I still go back and listen to that. I put that on Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the time just to... I don't know, like you sort of get that nostalgia from the chills, yeah. the John Williams yeah, it is chills. chills. <laughs> it really is. Um, so I would definitely. That's it's not an obscure score by any means, but it's uh, it's one that I would definitely recommend that people go in and check out mm-hmm. the overture from the Cowboys by John Williams. Great. It's just really Let's great. Go back and watch that. Definitely shows his genius. I mean, that yeah. man, he's unstoppable. I he really, really is, is a wizard. wizard. <laughs> I don't know. He's a wizard. And, you know, like it has a real place in Boston too. He, he directed the Boston yeah. Pops for for a while, and he comes back here pretty regularly. So it's a, uh, yeah, he's a uh, he's a pretty incredible musician. He is a lot to appreciate and enjoy about yeah. it as yeah. well. And you can you can hear the passion. Yes, you can, and that's that's the best part. Uh, well, again, thank you so much for coming in today and giving your time. It was so nice to sit and chat with you about such a essential component to filmmaking as both film lovers and music lovers. It's always fascinating to see those intersections and break those down. Thank you for sharing your insight. Yeah. Uh, see you, you in for, class. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. It. Anytime. <laughs> Brainwaves loves, loves film music class. So I'm here with first year Maya and fifth year Becca, and we are currently all enrolled in Jacques Dupuis film music class, which we love dearly, don't we? So we absolutely love it. Amazing class. So each of us have a different connection to and knowledge of both film and music, but we're all excited to share with you guys some pieces near and dear to our hearts. So without further ado, welcome to the 21st Century Film Music Draft. Woo! Woo! Let's go. Portion of 
the episode will be similar to sports drafting, but obviously more fun and creative because it's our own twist. Each of us came to the studio prepared to draft our favorite scores from different genres of film, and we will be sharing our favorite film scores from these three genres, animation, drama, and action fantasy. The rules are as follows. Music has to come from a movie from the 21st century. No same film score can be chosen. Everything is first come, first serve. Each player will draft their scores for each of the three genres. And once we have all drafted our teams of film scores, the group will vote on who has the best team, a.k.a. the best lineup of music. You cannot vote for your own team. And finally, a note before we get started. These choices aren't necessarily what we think are the best music pieces from that genre, but rather pieces that are personal favorites for us. And all right, according to the random generator, ah, I'm going to start us off with no my way. first pick <laughs> in the action fantasy category. This seems rigged. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no. So for the action fantasy genre, I chose a song from Tim Burton's 2010 Alice in Wonderland. Mm, wow. The song is Alice's Theme, composed by Danny Elfman. So hope you guys enjoy this little clip. So Alice in Wonderland was directed by Tim Burton. It's a dark fantasy movie, and who better at scoring those movies than Danny Elfman himself. Danny Elfman and Tim Burton have worked together a lot on different movies, such as The Corpse Bride, Nightmare Before Christmas. But, and I think this is a hot take, this is my favorite Tim Burton-Danny Elfman collab. No Really? Yes, very exciting. And as most fantasies do, the score uses a lot of brass and strings, but I chose this specifically because it was the first time as a kid that I noticed music within a movie. I love the elaborate melodies, and it uses an all-female choir within the piece. That's so dope. I I think the choir represents, like, the strong heroine theme of the movie, which I love. Hell yeah. A lot of intense drumming, brings in a sense of imminent danger and marching. It uses a marimba phone, similar to a marimba. No way. It's a percussion instrument to make a pretty unusual sound. And Danny Elfman, if you guys don't know, is the king of percussion. Um, that's what he's known for. That's what he's most talented at. And I think that percussion really makes the score spectacular. It's like I can feel Alice and her army of Wonderland creatures ready to take, take charge against the Queen of Hearts. And lastly, it's one of the few movie scores associated with a character that includes lyrics in the theme, which I think is pretty cool. So yeah, that's my Hell that's yeah. my first fantasy action that's bit. A good take. Thanks. All right, Maya, you're up next. Okay. Um, so for the action fantasy genre, I selected um, the Dementors Converge um, oh. from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, yeah. the Harry Potter movie. Um, Composed by the god, John Williams. Honestly, like, when I thought of um, fantasy, I thought of this immediately. Because what a terrifying song this is. As a child who loved 
the Harry Potter books, like, unabashedly. This scene, this turning point, like, when the movies got darker, um, when we see Harry, like, really realize how much is at stake, um, it was enough to make me watch through my fingers. And this scene of Harry and Sirius by the this little river lake and all the Dementors swarming literally makes me piss my pants every single time. And Harry wanted nothing more than to protect Sirius and his unconscious body and the horror-esque percussion sways and bends as Harry gets fed on over and over. And we know that the Dementors are meant to, like, suck the life out of you, sort of like a Depression-esque, like, really unbearable experience. And the feeling of hope is progressively depleting as he lets out a scream of despair when the music abates. And the only momentary snippet of hope is when we get the this shift in the score when we see the stag Patronus on the other side of the river uh, or the pond or whatever it is and sends all the Dementors away. And I absolutely love this piece of music. That was beautiful. That yeah. was a beautiful description of that Thank moment. You. In the film. I want that tattooed on my arm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Becca, take us away. What's your action fantasy pick? Let's uh, hear it. I think I took some artistic liberty on the genre of action fantasy mm, as I don't <laughs> love to involve myself with films of that nature but I think this is like lightly fantasy-esque and it's like beauty and coolness but the 2020 version of Jane Eyre's novel Emma <laughs> was an epic film um, yeah it was composed by Isabel Waller-Bridge Name might be familiar. Whoa. Sister of is that Phoebe, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. <gasps> oh, my God. No Dana way. Fleabag <laughs> I got much in Star Queen. And, yes, she did also compose Fleabag. I'm pretty sure. I'll, I'll fact check that one for you guys after. But, yeah, Isabel is, like, epic. And I'm, like, always thinking about their parents. They must be, like, so, so happy proud. that one of them is Phoebes and the other one is Izzy. Yeah, so the movie is super beautiful and cool. Lots of, like fairy tale like shots really really great film also the last film i saw before the titular covid19 pandemic in theaters man, you guys man. might have heard of it yeah it's kind of talking kind of underground so yeah there's a lot of folk music um in it that i love and the song that i chose today is called queen bee by johnny flynn and i just think that the song adds so much to the beauty of the shots. Soul is for my mistress, soul is for my maid. Sweetness that I took for, sweetness that she gave to me. My queen bee. Wow, that was great. Yeah. I gotta watch Emma now. That was great. So good. I I'm love excited. Anya Taylor-Joy. She is she's amazing. the best. Amazing. She is love the her. best. Speaking of amazing things, <laughs> our next category is animation. Yeah, the best category. Crazy. I'm so excited. This this category is near and dear to my heart because this movie where I chose my piece from is none other than Ratatouille. Of course. Ratatouille. And the specific piece I chose came, uh, it comes from the end credits. And they're called the end oh. creditouilles. That's so absolutely adorable. If it's not a winner for the category for the name alone, yeah. then who knows what we're doing? And it's composed by Michael Giacchino. How can you not pick Michael Giacchino for this category? He kills it every time. He's a fantastic composer. 
any animated movie is automatically a thousand times better with him a part of the project. But anyways, I chose this song because the tempo of the, the guitar and the accordion reminds me of the rat, Remy, skimpering around the kitchen. And overall, the tempo is very similar to Remy's movements in the movie. So take a listen. I just think this piece is Remy the Rat in song form. There's a percussive element, almost like tango to the song that correlates to the fun, wild sneakiness of the film. And the brass is just so fun. This whole movie is scored amazingly. Michael Giacchino killed it, but end credit to really takes the cake. Okay, that was a good choice. Thanks. It was a great choice, even. But I pull out my trump card mm. for this genre. Ooh. For this genre, the animated genre, I selected Test Drive from the 2010 classic How to Train Your Dragon. Mm. Composed by the amazing John Powell, this movie is, this movie alone is like a classic in itself. And this score, I think about it daily. So have a listen. I said I think about it daily, and I mean that. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be lying if I said I didn't listen to this from time to time in, like, my normal playlists. For me, there were, will never be another scene that, in tandem with a score like this, that has the full body effect, quite like this one. It's quite literally every positive, hopeful, and daring feeling compressed into under three minutes. The song comes in. When Hiccup, our main character, and Toothless the Dragon are still cautious of one another, but have finally allowed themselves to attempt to fly harmoniously. And while there is a hiccup, <laughs> um, as they attempt to figure out the kinks in the machinery that Hiccup masterfully created to help Toothless fly, um, the score is nothing but uh, weightless glee and unrelenting bravery. And it's literally, like, so incredible. I love it so much. Becca, take us away. All right, squad. So <laughs> once again, taking a little artistic liberty Uh-oh. with <laughs> she the parameters of the game. I think that because I am older than you guys, I should be allowed to like you know do my animation from a few years back, as we uh, we are in different generations these days. So the song, the film that I have chosen is the iconic The Lion King. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar in your young <laughs> age. Too young. Oh no, yeah. I only know the remake. Yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a great pick. It's a coming of age, some might say. Um yeah, I love The Lion King. It was my favorite movie growing up. Obviously Hans Zimmer icon. King. We love him. We love Hans. We love him. I'm sure that he's like I mean, I hope not, but I hope that there's not, like, some large problematic thing that he's done and then, like, this podcast is going to get I feel like all composers are pretty unproblematic. Yeah. They also stay out of the limelight. Yeah, they stay out of the limelight. So we wouldn't even know. We wouldn't know. I don't know what they look like We trust Hans. We just listen to their music. I also think that mine's the best because it's the only one that's, like, truly a musical. And I think that 
that makes a score better in some ways. Um, so the song that I've chosen is a little old tune called Hakuna Matata by Nathan <laughs> Lane, um, featuring the two best characters of all time, Timon and Pumbaa. Um, kind of comedy legends when you think about it. Uh, yeah, so I think that you guys will love this the most of any of that we've listened so far. Whoa. 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 Okay. Sorry. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. Ain't no passing craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. Yes, say it, kid. It's our problem free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. I gotta rewatch. Lion King. Yeah. I actually didn't see the live action remake Did because I not? felt like no, that no, was sacrilegious. No, Dude. No, no, no. I only watched it for Beyonce and Childish Gambino. And TBH, they supplied. They served. <laughs> when don't they? When don't they? I just don't understand what was the need. Right. What and was the need right? for the live That's action? That's true. It was like really disturbing to look at, but like Billy Eichner and oh my God, like Seth Rogen, absolutely hilarious. Slayed. I just wish they were doing anything else. Like, I would watch them do anything except yeah. for the live action. Stop with the remakes. Stop with the reboots. Except for West Side Story. Exactly. That's My the face. one exception. Wait. Well, that was just, like, a little extra sneak peek <laughs> into the world of films and musicals for you guys before. Tier, our final category. No. Final category is drama, a.k.a. where we cry. And specifically for my score, if you haven't heard it, then what are you even doing? It's Agape from If Beale Street Could Talk, mm. Oof. composed by Nicholas Bertel. Right I'm just, I'm just going to say before I play it, in ancient Greek and Christianity, this word means unconditional, sacrificial love, which if you've seen the movie, this really tugs at your heartstrings, the name of the song. Just take a listen. Please close your eyes while you listen to this and get ready to really feel something. This song, man, wow. I don't think I've ever had such a strong reaction to a piece of music until I heard this. And the movie, If Beale Street Could Talk, is great. Fantastic movie, but it's definitely not one of my favorites. It was just a situation where the music was what I took away from the experience. And this song, I think I listen to it every night before I go to bed. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Do you this song makes It's so beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, this piece takes the cake over all other scores for me. Even the huge Star Wars themes ones, those are great, but I don't know. I love this one. I know this was nominated for the Best Original Score of the 2019 Academy Awards. It's classical, but it has some American jazz elements to it. And it only uses a handful of instruments, but its simplicity is what makes it so beautiful. You don't need this dramatic, hundred-layer film score to make something emotionally impactful. Mm. And this song, for what it is, is so powerful. Bertel, I love you. Thank you for sharing this piece of music with the <laughs> Peace world. Peace and love. Peace and love. First. I went in the opposite direction. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like 180, right? Um, so for the genre category of drama, I selected 
Knives Out. Uh, so string, good. string quartet in G minor. Yes. From obviously, 2019. Yes. G minor. Um, composed by the great Nathan Johnson. So take a listen and like pretend that you're in a whodunit murder mystery. Mm. Everyone's out to get you. Oof. It's an experience. While um, Knives Out is an incredible movie, it's on on its own with all the performances and the way that there's so many different like small details that you don't realize until you watch it for a second time. I think this movie considers itself uh, a whodunit, but also a drama. Um, this movie threw me for a loop, and then some. Yeah, <laughs> the main theme, this piece of music that we are very um, early on met with. It perfectly sets the scene. Um, the prominent strings do a great job of like accentuating this backstabby mood because there's so many sharp, very prominent elements in this score. And at the very end, while it's playing, we get the title score, like the title sequence. Um, and it's so simple. It's just knives out in black and white with like a dagger. And it's just... It does wonders. Um, the crescendo towards the end is just when we see the death. Oh, spoilers. Just kidding. It's uh -oh. not spoilers. It's like the first thing you see. <laughs> the death and then the housemaid, Franz, her visceral reaction um, before everything happens. It's just like mesmerizing. And then you're strapped in for the next hour, two hours. So what an incredible movie. Incredible That's score. Great it's a great pick, I, I do gotta say. I gotta say. All right, Becca, are you ready to end the yeah, best podcast sure. that the world has ever heard? <laughs> yeah. Lots of pressure here. But luckily, I've chosen the best film score of all time. And that is the film score of Juno by Matino <laughs> Oh Messina. my God. Um, yeah, I watched Juno when I was younger, and I feel like it just like didn't mean that much to me. And then I rewatched it last year, and it, like, changed my life. It is such a beautiful film, and I love that it just, like, speaks in its own language, and it's so weird and interesting, and I feel like the score, like, really mimics that. Um, yeah, there's a lot of great songs by Kimya Dawson on it, who is, like, a really epic indie singer, and they're just, like, very fuzzy and warm and, like, make you feel included in the film. But I think the most impactful song from the film is the final song, Anybody Else But You, Anyone Else But You, sorry, um, which is performed by Michael Sarah and Elliot Page, and it's I like the moment when they're falling in love at the end, and it's just so sweet and so beautiful and like so silly, and I just like how gentle the whole film is, and I feel like the track also is very gentle. Let's take a listen. Both have shiny, happy fits of rage. I want more fans who want more stage. Don't see what anyone can see. Many all I know. Okay, great song. But uh, before we wrap this up and vote, mm. I have a few qualms. Sure, sure. Lion King. 
Oh my god. Lion King. Shall we refer Shall back we? to the rules? I'm just yeah. saying. One of the rules is uh, that it I, well, has to actually be. just the title. Mm. Oh of my the god. Game That's is so true. 21st century film music draft. Yeah. What do you have and to say for yourself? It's so funny Becca? because when did the when did the Lion King come out? Becca? It just feels like sometimes the music is so impactful that we just like can't be um we, we can't be surrounded by the limitations that we put ourselves I in. I honestly you know? thought that she was, when she said Lion King, I thought she was going to be like, oh, yeah, like the one where, like, they lift Simba up, like that huge, Circle like, crescendo. Oh, yeah. And then she picks Hakuna Matata. Interesting that you say that, because oh. <laughs> for your drama category, you did choose a comedy. I did. Um, which I just don't know how well that really slides into the situation. Mm. Daniel Craig mm. with a southern accent is the comedy in itself. Yeah. Um, I was cast as forest creature number four in of The Lion King. Yes, people are still talking about my role. So if you need me to perform that later. What a flex. We know. will. I'll make a separate episode, and it will just be kind of an audio Thank you. musical. Thank you. Nice. That performance alone. But we didn't bash on Dan again. Yeah. But did I do anything wrong? Um, I have a few qualms about your let's oh, hear, let's hear. ratatouille selection. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. There are... So many good options. I know. Okay. So many good options, and you chose the end one. Okay. Mm. I love it. Steen, I love great it. Song. What else? Uh, Ratatouille main theme. That's my morning alarm clock. <laughs> but there's something about end credituis that tickles. It's that the title. Part of my brain. Yeah. It's I, the title. It is the it's title. literally yeah. the title. That's why I chose it at the end of the day. Fair. I I read the song by its cover. Well, well. it's time to vote. Do we oh. eliminate Becca? Yeah. This feels targeted. <laughs> targeted. <laughs> okay, rock, paper, scissors for mm. who wins. Or if Becca, between the two of us, who has the best lineup? You can't put that pressure on me. I think rock, paper, scissors is uh, what has to go down. Okay. But somehow make it audible. So okay. that the <laughs> Wait, let's do it next to the mic. Best of three. Okay, fine. Rock, rock paper, scissors, shoot. shoot. Ooh, rock, Maya's won the first rock, round. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Dan has won the second. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Yeah! Oh, and Maya wins with a classic and scissors I win. on paper. Maya, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. This was so fun. I'm so happy to have you guys on the episode. It's been nothing but a grand old time. Grand old time. We love you. We love you. Thank you, Dana. Bye. Thanks, Jacques. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to Professor Dupuis for just teaching an amazing class. Seriously, it's exactly. It's literally the, the most entertaining course. If Everyone should enroll. Yeah. Even if you're, if you're a not North a film student. student, what are you doing if you're not in this class? Thank you. Anyways, <laughs> thanks for listening. Bye, guys. This episode of WRBB's Brainwaves was hosted by Dana Kay. This recording wouldn't be possible without the help of Susanna Mays our podcast director, and Sean Kolchinski, WRBB's general manager. This episode was mixed and edited by our audio engineer, Joseph Mossbridge. Special thanks to WRBB leadership staff, Northeastern University, Northeastern Student Activity Fee for funding this podcast. Our theme music is W by Mari Getty. Head to wrbbradio.org where you can find the latest episodes of all of our podcasts, listen to our internet live stream, and read up on the latest music reviews. And make sure to follow us on social media at WRBB Radio. Thanks for tuning in.